to Killer Casting. I'm your host, Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director for television, film, video games, all kinds of things. And I love talking about acting. I love talking about the shows that inspire me, that I'm passionate about, that keep me up at night, that keep me binging all night long. And I like to talk to all kinds of people in this field who work so, so hard to go after their dreams. Uh, and with me today, I have such a special bunch of guests who assembled here under such amazing circumstances. I can't quite believe it. But why don't you introduce yourself? Go ahead. So I'm Leah. I'm over in England. I'm a disabled actress and a medical ethics PhD candidate. Primarily, I'm an access coordinator for the entertainment industry. So it's my job to handle all things like accessibility, the disabled cast, crew, creative team, audience members, even characters themselves, really. That's amazing. Welcome, Leah. Thank you so much for being here. And I also have somebody else here who's very special to me. My name is Joseph Kibler. I'm an actor, writer, content creator, producer now based in New York, though I spent 13 years in LA. I've been on shows such as Criminal Minds, Yay! Like Cyber, Chicago Med. I've done a bunch of national commercials, produced a documentary on HIV and my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so happy to be here today. Welcome. We're going to get into your criminal minds journey in a second. And who else do we have here? Hi, I'm Carrie Cox. I am married to Joseph <laughs> and um, I'm an actor in New York City. I am also disabled. I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, I'm currently a recurring guest star on The Handmaid's Tale. I play Rose Blaine. And I've also done theater, film. I did stand-up for a while. I'm a <laughs> writer trying to get into playwriting, trying to get plays out there. It's awesome to be able to connect with people in our community through things like this. It's very cool. Yeah. Well, welcome all of you. And yes, I, there, you have so much to share with our audience who may or may not know anything about what it's like. They may or may not know anything about what it's like to be an actor or a creative person. And they certainly may not know what it's like to have your particular point of view as creators and actors who are disabled. And I just want to mention that, Joseph, I'm so, I guess it's we see, it sounds weird to say proud, but I was so happy that my partner and I at the time cast you on Criminal Minds because you came in for a role that wasn't written for any particular disability. It was just a role and you came in and you auditioned against everybody else and you got the role. And that's something that we were working really hard to do much more of. Then I and I'm certainly continuing to try to do that. And, and I'm sure that you can speak to the challenges that that brings up. And then I was mentioning to Carrie that I I worked for Bialy Thomas, Sharon and Sherry, who cast Carrie on Handmaid's Tale. They are amazing casting goddesses or like my fairy godmothers. And I'm so happy that they recognized your talent. And, and I do want you to talk about that journey. But Joseph, did you, were you going to jump in and say something about Criminal Minds? Yes. I mean, for me, that was, we have our little checklist of things we want to do as, as actors and the roles we want to take on. And for me, for a long time as a disabled actor, the goal to do a role that wasn't focused on a disability, like you said, it wasn't written as a disabled role. It wasn't meant to be, quote unquote, a disabled role. It was a reporter. It was just a reporter saying a line. And for me, when I go into these kind of things, I would 10 out of 10 rather get a one-liner where I get to just be a person 
than a whole episode where it feels like on a very special episode, which is what I always call them, where it feels like the whole thing's about disability. The only reason I'm there, it's about disability. We have to over explain my existence on the show just so that everyone feels comfortable. It can't just be a lawyer. It has to be he got injured years ago and now he wants to pursue justice because he never got the person that got him in an accident. And that's why he's disabled, but also a lawyer. It's, or he could just be a lawyer. It doesn't have to be explained. I could be a reporter. Right. And it meant a lot to me that that was the first role I got where I could just exist in the scene. Yeah. It wasn't like, hey, you, wheels, what do you think? It wasn't oh, about that. You know, but it happened. I mean, not to throw anyone, you know, all love around the world and every role I've done, I've learned things from. But I did have one character I was named Kevin Kane. And I'm just going to throw that out there. You know, maybe we're a little on the nose sometimes. Mm-hmm. Leah, you look like you wanted to jump in. No, I just, it is, it does happen a lot. And it was when you mentioned about you can't just sort of be a lawyer. It has to be a lawyer with this backstory of he couldn't get justice, but like the accident happened to him. And I was literally thinking the other day that it's so rare, and I don't think I've actually seen one yet, where I'll see a disabled character who plays a villain or a bad guy or an answer or whatever. And their reason for being a bad guy is always because they're disabled. I just want one regular bad guy who happens to also be disabled. But it's always like they're so angry at the world because they're disabled and this is the worst thing that's happened to them. And because of that, they go on this like rampage or something. And it's, I I would love to see just a regular bad guy who just also happens to be disabled. Like it doesn't need to be the reason that they are that. But yeah, that was just what that reminded me of completely. And I think it's just a change of mindset. And I think that everybody has the best intentions. But even I have to be very careful what I say here, Joseph. But even on that episode, there were a couple of people who on the crew who kind of kind of offhandedly said, why don't why didn't you just wait until there was a role that was written? for a wheelchair using character. And I tried to just be very gentle and explain, we're trying to get past that. That's kind of not the point. And he'll be fucking waiting forever. (laughs) We're going to wait for us to have that written. Not that that, those aren't important and that representation in those storylines aren't important. It is important to recognize those experiences and cast them authentically with disabled actors. But the whole effort, certainly CBS's effort, was to completely normalize that anybody can play anything. And And that's easy to say, but then when you kind of are, you actually are meeting people on the crew who kind of aren't used to that, it's, it's interesting. It's challenging. It's a good opportunity to explain the change in mindset. Yeah. I mean, if I can just jump in that, I think the way I always describe it is if disabled people can be anything in the real world, you have real disabled people who are parents, you have real disabled people who meet at clubs and have romantic lives, and you have real disabled people who are lawyers, Mm -hmm. if real disabled people can be those things in real life, then we can play those things on TV. Yeah. And I think to add to it, too, it's people always say, well, we'll wait for a disabled role, wait for a disabled role. And it's, we are looking to expand our careers and we have such limited options as it is. And not only do we have to then wait for the disabled roles, but then so often those disabled roles that do come up, we're also then competing with able-bodied actors for those roles as well. My big thing always is coming out, well, at that point, you know, we shouldn't have to be fighting and competing with able-bodied actors then for disabled roles or let us all go up for everything and then we could be on the equal playing field together. 
I'm okay with that. But until we're all getting to go up for everything, you can't have it both ways. And we're 25% of the population. Some people say even a broader percentage. And in aiming towards authentic representation, we were talking about this yesterday with a project right now that um, I did a film that I did that's going to, it's in the festival circuit right now, or it's trying to get into festivals. And something that we run into is the representation is so authentic to me because I'm an ambulatory wheelchair user. So you see me standing up and sitting down in the chair, and that is so confusing to people. The goal always seems to be let's tell the story in the way that's going to be least confusing for the audience and most easy for them to swallow. But when we do that over and over again, we never really get to the truth of what disability is, which is so various. There are so many different versions of disability. And it's really, if you've met one disabled person, you've met one disabled person, borrow a phrase from the autistic community. So until we can get to that point where people are comfortable with being uncomfortable, it's never going to truly look like what our lives look like. No, and it's such a struggle because and it it, it almost feels so daunting because we're sitting here as disabled actors and disabled performers talking about the nuance of ambulatory and cerebral palsy and EDS and MS and amputations and all these different things when then you you zoom back just a little bit and we still have a whole world, a whole mainstream audience that's, I don't know what, disabled people? They go, to, they do things, they leave their house. Right. That's confusing. The gap is very and, wide between how nuanced our community, our conversations with our community are versus the understanding of the outside world. That gap is so wide. And to bring it back to casting, it's, it's so apparent because we are in a weird transitional period where we've evolved and we are opening up more opportunities. But it also is still very clear that in trying to do their best, a lot of casting is almost throwing out such a wide net that it it does the opposite effect where it makes us feel like it's just about the mobility aid. We look for the same role all the time. You wouldn't think that, but we do, which is also very fun and wonderful. And we always want to say that we're grateful at this time. We've seen things long way in a short period of time so we do want to acknowledge that yeah but it, but it is a it is a struggle when it's like 20s to 80s amputation wheelchair death whatever it's, okay that's great let's open yeah. it wide. but also what is the role do you know about the character and give me something to grab onto that makes me feel more important than all you're looking at is my chair and mm-hmm. whether it's a cool looking chair and yeah it's so cool yeah i mean I, I mean, I do get that a lot with the, I have seen roles come up where they just want a disabled person. They don't mind what disability, but the thing about a disability is it changes everything about the way that you access the world. It changes the people you speak to. It changes the things that you know. It changes how you get around. It changes the way that you think. It changes every part of your life. And, you know, I mean, even people with the same disabilities, I mean, I have the same disability as Carrie. We have the same condition and I'm sure our lives are still very different because it's a condition that affects everyone completely differently and then so you have two completely separate disabilities as well and everything about that character and who that character is is going to change because the way that that character accesses their world around them is going to have changed sort of you audition two actors in a row one who's deaf or got a hearing impairment and then one who's a wheelchair user And you've changed your character completely because it's not just about their disability. They're going to have everything about them change. 
Um, and as a as an access coordinator, if I sort of was looking at, I don't know, staging for a family that has a deaf member or a family that has a member who's in a wheelchair, then even the layout of their living room that I'm going to be assisting with, like where their furniture is pointing, everything about that is going to change because it's, well, is all the furniture pointing to each other so that people can communicate better or is the furniture actually sort of more to one side so that there's going to be room for a wheelchair to get past and it impacts everything about your character your staging um even parts of your scripts it could impact and we do they do sort of tend to overgeneralize sometimes Mm -hmm. and how do you do that leah as a professional who's working as an advocate on set as you just said, there are neurodivergent disabilities. There are all different kinds of physical disabilities, cognitive, behavioral, all kinds of things. How can one person really advocate for all of that on set? Yeah, so my role is very much, I describe it as I'm not just there to assist communication between production and a disabled staff member. I become the communication channel between production and a disabled staff members so I work with whoever's there so it might be a disabled actor I work with them and we work together to find out what their access support needs are and then I essentially go to production and I never share any medical information I never share anything about their condition themselves or disabled people have the right to privacy what I share with production is how we take those access support needs and how we turn them into access requirements. And so I then work with production on how are we going to put into place the things that this person needs. And so when it comes to supporting people with all kinds of disabilities, it's very much about working with that individual. Because as we've already mentioned, you could have two wheelchair users and their um, access requirements be completely different. So it's very much for me about working with that individual or working with those individuals if there are multiple disabled people and working with them to figure out what they need and then sort of taking my expertise with, you know, my academic background in medical ethics and in credit conditions and my experience working with the disabled community and sort of helping, helping those access requirements be put into place so that, you know, people can actually access their workplace. They have a right to. I mean, I know as an actor, I've shown up to set and I should just be worrying about, you know, okay, the scene that I'm doing, this is my performance today. I'm actually worrying about, can I get from the area that I'm using as my dressing room to the soundstage on time? Have I got anywhere private to change? Have I got anywhere that I can access the bathroom? When I'm actually on a soundstage, is there going to be equipment everywhere so that I can't actually get through? Is there anywhere that I can actually get to eat? Or is that up the stairs? You know, there are a hundred things running mm. through our brain all of the time. And my job as a coordinator is to take all of those things away so that a disabled actor can just worry about acting, that a disabled crew member can just focus on their job. And that sort of the purpose of me being there is that I take all of those things that we're constantly worrying about and I sort of handle that for you. So you think it all through. And that's so important because you're going to know what to look for. Even the most well-intentioned set, even with all the OSHA requirements and all the things that you're supposed to have in place, sometimes isn't just aren't going to think about the the cables and what and the apple boxes and what to trip over and and the thing is, is if you can keep a camera safe and where it's going, you can certainly keep an actor or a crew member safe and 
and give them accessibility. I remember, Leah, when we were speaking last year, you were talking about going to an audition and the street to the, or the, the outside of the place to go audition was cobblestoned. And it was that very... was that's actually one of the sound stages in London. So that was on a job itself. Yeah, that was. I don't think unless you have ever had to think about it, you realize how much cobblestones impacts a wheelchair. They are horrendous. They are absolutely awful. And if you never have to think about that kind of thing, then you wouldn't. You know, there's so much that. I think about now, I would never think about the fact that even though a pavement is technically flat, if it's cambered towards the road, so there's a little angle towards the road, you're pushing twice as hard on one side of your body as you are on the other. Or tree roots where it makes the pavement crack. They're such a big deal, but you don't realize that until you have to think about exactly, that. Exactly. Gary and I learned about all about cobblestone <laughs> when we were in Barcelona for our honeymoon. That was, that was... Which was still such an accessible city. Despite that. Despite that. that. But yes, it was very... Yeah, it was an interesting mix. (laughs) For you both, what are some of the access points that you can think of that would have made things so much easier or or obstacles that you encountered, you know, just so we can just start to re-educate ourselves and reframe and re-look at at situations with a better eye? Obviously, with with self-tapering, it's a little bit easier in some ways, although it can be difficult for people with certain um, disabilities to even just kind of set up their camera and their lights and stuff like that. I have heard back from actors who who do, you know, struggle with that. But what about your personal experience? To shout out great accessibility, Handmaid's Tale always has done an amazing job. That's the the main set that I've been on. I did a, a little film and then a, a small part in another film. And then I did the CBS showcase where they did a, a great job with that too. But with on the Handmaid's Tale set, and I know it's not always possible, but it's like everything was thought out beforehand. They had so many conversations. They would call me multiple times, multiple people, producers to check in with what I needed. They There was always somebody making sure that I had a way to get to where I needed to go to mm. pick me up at certain times and take me the one the one downside of that, which is kind of unavoidable if you know, you're you're doing a scene on the street and they need to be able to take you from your trailer up a hill to the set, you know, is that you miss out on time in the makeup trailer or just time hanging around with the other act. Yeah. So I have the, you know, sometimes being it because I can walk, I can get in and out of my chair. There are certain times I am able to make a choice that maybe other actors wouldn't be able to where I could say I actually I'm going to get myself back to the trailer right now because I want to sit and talk with everybody but other actors with more access needs or different access needs might not have that privilege so when we're on set it's not just about the accessibility of the set itself and you've run into this too this was going to be mine yeah yeah. it's being able to experience the culture of a set also and being able to really talk to the people you're working with and build those relationships but with travel i mean they would pick me up at my apartment take me to the airport there'd be someone waiting at the airport to help me put my chair together grab all my bags take me exactly where i needed to go hop on the plane they'd take me right to the hotel i mean everything oh Oh, that's so wonderful well they have this wonderful assistant angel who would help me all the time and she'd help me get to the bathroom that's my main (laughs) my number one need is i need to go to the bathroom a lot the fact that you even had a trailer carrie is 
we didn't have a trailer for Joseph. I was absolutely shocked when production told me there were no star wagons. I'm like, how the fuck is that possible? That cannot be. And we figured it out. But, you know, anyway, go no, ahead. Just... No, which I was going to say, which, which it all ended up working out wonderfully. And everyone was very communicative in, in that regard. And even for the reading, I remember for the table read, mm-hmm. I was invited. And then just making sure that there was the ramp into the trailer was a very big thing and coordinating that. And mm-hmm. it was always such a wonderful thing. And, and that's been over and over again, I think I've seen, which is, you know, a lot of communication from the, I've been very lucky on the sets that I've been on. But to go back to what Carrie was talking about with that isolation, I think that is something that's not talked about enough or thought of. And I think it's just a reaction to wanting to be on the ball with everything and wanting to be so accessible and wanting to provide the best rooms. There'd be several sets I did where they'd give me a great room and they'd have me in this wonderful spot. And I, I would be so far removed from yeah. this, so far removed from everyone. And this is an industry that is built on networking. And this is an industry that is built on when lunch happens, yeah. everyone's fucking. And then they'd be like, but you, you're going to be over here and we're going to bring you your lunch. And while right. it's very sweet and accessible, and I don't want to ever so hard because you don't want to be too negative about something because you want others to have access to it. So you don't want people to pull back from that. But at the same time, while other actors are getting to talk to crew members and directors and first and ADs and starting to develop relationships that can then prolong their careers mm-hmm. because that person to go on to another set and that's another suggestion for an actor that they can make i'm sitting in a room by myself eating my waffle and being like you know this is nice and oops i'm missing on a very oops. important part of the process this idea there's never really a, an angle with accessibility you could applaud all of the steps that are taken but continuing to think creatively and, and never allowing that to stop how can we be more creative about these solutions how can we make it more accessible for everybody and maybe crew members with invisible disabilities? Because mm-hmm. there is this this trend that once we've solved one accessibility problem, it solves all these other problems right. for people that we didn't even know about. No, and there'll be things like I can walk, I can stand, I can sit, viewatory wheelchair user. And sometimes it's it's a hard thing. Of There were certain sets, and again, I was so appreciative, but there were certain sets where I felt like I was almost too much of a focus. I was almost too, there was too much attention where I couldn't like breathe or I didn't have a moment to just like, I just want to sit for a second. I can get up the stairs. Don't, you know, I have to hold my legs to make sure that I'm not going to like things like that, where it's like, it's coming out of, it's coming out of a good place. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to scold it because some other person might need that more. So it's such a tough place to be in where it's Mm -hmm. like, that, you know, they're just running you too quickly and you don't have time by yourself. And there's some, I mean, I did a commercial where there was, I think what their whole job that day was to stand behind me with a chair ready for any moment. I'm like, I can ask for a chair, which is very sweet. But when I do need to sit, I will, I will sit yeah. or put it nearby. But you don't have to stand behind me holding it. Sort like, of like an overcompensation of what's going yeah, on. Right. And and again, what you're if, saying is, sorry, but what you're saying is so important because that isolation You know, the whole point is a lot of the crew in the cast may not have ever been around someone with a disability. And there's already that kind of awkwardness and ice breaking. And if you're not there for those little interactions at the coffee, at crafty and all that stuff, just to bullshit and and have that time 
to really just normalize the whole interaction. You know, if you're constantly kind of squirreled away, it keeps you separate. It keeps you from totally integrating. And it's again, it's the as you say, it's the best of intentions, right? They're trying to yeah. do the right thing. And it's also part of the process as, as a performer, yeah. like you lose something in that as a performer. If you don't get to engage your your castmates, if you don't get to engage between setups and shots and you don't get to feel like you're familiar with each other and you're you're resonating with each other and you just have to go into that scene cold and just be like, okay, now it's time to act together. It's like you didn't even get to have a little bit of a banter and trust each other in a different way. And run the scene. Run the scene. And 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 we come into things so often having to prove ourselves at such a high intensity already coming in feeling like no one believes that we can do we the job. We have imposter syndrome as a, as a community. I so think. not being able to get in there and, and explain to our coworkers who are sometimes big stars that we too also belong there. Then you just come in cold and they're looking at you and sometimes you get that feeling. I've gotten that feeling. I've gotten it both ways. I've gotten very welcomed on sets. I've, I had a lovely, just a shout out, Patricia Arquette when I did CSI Cyber was the most gracious actor I ever got to work with because she would literally look at me and say, what do you think of this scene? And we had rewrites the night before and she'd be like, do you like the rewrites? Do you think about, what do you think about our scene now on dynamics and asking questions and bringing me in or there'd be a, a camera issue and she would reassure me it wasn't one of us that did something wrong. It was like she wanted to be there, but that's not always the case. And so losing out on that networking time and that socializing time and the ability to just prove ourselves as human beings so often, you know, we go out into the world and people already, the amount of times they get talked down to, it, it builds you up in a way of you're, already, you're always ready for some sort of We make bad... a joke like sometimes with, and because you have to joke about it and we, you know, with respect, but we joke that sometimes like, do they think that I won a contest to to be here? That kind of thing. Do they or think this is my make a wish, like a make a wish thing, like you know, you know, oh. something they can feel that way a little bit. And a lot of that comes from internal internal things too. Yeah, yeah. there's no way to really work through that if you don't have that time. Leah, yeah. did you have something to add? Yeah, no, I just I've had that for sure before. I've had when the dressing rooms are all upstairs, and so they put me in my own room, which is really nice. And you get even more privacy. And then you end up so far removed from it and the hair and makeup artists still with all of those actors. And so you end up doing your own hair and makeup and, and then you show up to set and everyone's kind of chatting and you're just sat there and it feels a little bit like school kind of thing, like a new day at school and everyone's chatting and then you're just kind of there. I don't know whether to chat with them and jump in or is that trying too hard? And then you just, I think, I think a lot of it is just wanting the normal experience of every actor. It's, it's about putting in access and finding access, but in a way that then doesn't isolate you completely. Like you end up almost on a pedestal. We're going to spend ages looking after this person. It's like, you don't need to look after me. I'm fine. I'm an adult. I'm, I'm all good here. Just as long as I can, I can access my work, then I, I'm good. I'm an adult. Yeah. It, it kind of adds into that sort of myth that if we have somebody with a disability, it's going to be so much extra work for us. And it's going to be such and you don't want that. You just want it to be like the normal accommodations that you would make to anyone. But you know what? I, I think that we're, we're getting there. I think that things are changing. And I'm so glad that you're, you're speaking out about it because that will only help things. And Carrie, tell us about your character on Handmaid's Tale. Was that character 
written to have a disability or not? Yeah, she was. She was written to have a, a very specific disability. She has hip dysplasia, which is different from my disability, but they accommodated me and she walks with a cane the way that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really all that's been said about it, aside from some of the comments about how that is then registered by the world of The Handmaid's Tale, you know, where women must be perfect. and Right. Yeah. So why do you think they gave her that particular attribute? I feel like it's still to be kind of revealed what what the thinking of is behind that choice. It's done in such a subtle way that a lot of people, I've got on some forums and things about the show, a lot of people didn't even register it. I, I don't think I did. I don't think I... I yeah. It's done so, you see me use the cane a little bit, and then it's referenced offhand in, in one comment, not to, for people who haven't seen season five, I don't want to reveal too much, but somebody <laughs> makes a comment about genetics and uh, how my gen- genetics might not be ideal. And mm. that's really all that's kind of said about it so far in, in season five. And I think there's so many interesting ways it could go, so many interesting even if it's never addressed, interesting interpretations that people have taken, people really run with something, you know, they and I've seen lots of people who are from the dis- a disabled community who are fans of the show get so excited about it and create this whole backstory that like it's just their creation, you know, and I'm going, wow, that's really exciting. I'm hoping that people read this because that is cool. That'd be a cool backstory. What was the audition process like? Was it just like any other self-tape or, you know? Yeah, I never auditioned in person. It was all self-tape and Zoom, but they Mm -hmm. were so wonderful. I got notes from them and then I got notes from Lizzie Moss eventually. And yeah, but it was just fun. And I got to watch the show and do so much research, so much reading. I love getting to to read about a character. There is a, a backstory that we talked about that's under the surface. It's very rich and and has a lot to do with someone with a difference in a world that doesn't accommodate that. Mm-hmm. A lot of private internal internal thoughts that That's might so never you know, wonderful. be part of it. You know, before I forget, Leah, you told me a story last year when you went to see the movie Barbie. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that was just, I think for me, I sometimes, I know that representation makes a big impact on people and then it was one of those cases where I actually got to watch this impact happen and so I had gone to see the Barbie movie I was just with my family just my local theater kind of thing and I have a different chair now but my old wheelchair was bright pink I'm blonde I was wearing pink you know I I I knew that there was like a resemblance there but I I just assumed that that was just me thinking of the resemblance and there are like dolls like barbie dolls in wheelchairs it didn't matter that i was like 19 when they came out i still went and got one i still got the one with the pink wheelchair because i knew how much i looked like that but in the movie there is a dancer who uses the wheelchair and this barbie's wheelchair is bright pink and she's a blonde and i personally really loved that but didn't think much more of it and then we were leaving the enter itself and there was this little girl she must have been about four years old and she looked at me and then she turned to her mum mom she looks just like barbie and i i was like this moment of that made an impact there was this like small child of the next generation and this film made an impact on her and she saw me 
And it wasn't that she saw past my disability and saw who I am. She saw the disability included and she still loved that and she still recognized that as a character. And that's also a really big thing for me is you don't, the whole, oh, I look past your disability or I don't see the disability when I look at you. I'm like, why not? Because it's a big part of me. It's not a bad part of me. Like, it's a great part of me. I love that. And it's, it's a really amazing thing to watch the way that it, it impacts, like, the next generation. Mm-hmm. I learned, because we know 25% of the population, both in America and over here, are disabled. 3.1% of media representation is, and that includes able-bodied actors playing civil roles. But I found out a couple of days ago that it's 1% of children's media. So I didn't realize how much less of children's media. And as a disabled adult, I love seeing disabled characters and I didn't become disabled until I was an adult. So it it's really important for me in, in accepting who I was, but it would also be really important for for children and for the next generation because that's what's going to change things. I see it with the little kids in my life, with my goddaughter, with my little cousins. They've grown up and never known anything different with me. And so they think of wheelchairs as just completely normal. And then I can always tell which kids have never had disability anywhere in their life or their world because they sort of, they're watching and it's not like a judgmental stare. It's just kids are curious and they've never seen it and they don't understand it. And the more representation that there is, the more people are going to, see you disability and everything and think that that's just who you are that's great and leah was it that same little girl or was it a different little girl who you told her that you were in that go ahead yeah no it was a different one i it was a few years ago pre so pre-covid and i was on the tube in london and i was sat opposite a little girl who was in pretty much the same wheelchair that i was and she was kind of excited mm-hmm. and she started talking to me and she asked what I do. And I said, oh, I'm an, an actor and a dancer. And she was like, we can do that? I was like, yeah, we can do that. And then I was like telling her all about it and the things that I do and the shows that I get to be in. And that moment, I kind of just saw everything click in her brain of I can be anything I want to be. And that felt utterly amazing like there Ooh. there is no words to describe that experience because you realize that you've changed a life and you've changed that perception um because I remember I I didn't start performing until I was already disabled and that's kind of part of why I became a performer because I mean partly because all of my agents have always been disability specific and so those opportunities have happened because of it um But also just in general, your entire world completely flips upside down. With my ADS, I I lost 90% of my sight over lunchtime at school. So I started lunchtime with my sight and I finished lunch without it. And then within six months, I was also in a wheelchair. And that was six weeks after starting university. So everything had completely flipped upside down. And I just kind of reached a point. I loved acting, but it was always this incredibly far away dream that could never possibly happen and I just kind of reached this point I was like why am I not going for this what could I possibly have to lose everything in my life has changed and I'm still me and I'm still going and so why am I not doing this thing that I want to do but my first ever show I remember I was so adamant I was like 
I'm not going to use a wheelchair. And this was only a couple of months after I'd been told that I had to start using a chair because I was just causing too much damage by walking. And they didn't want me on my feet more than like 15 minutes at a time at that point. But I was adamant. I was like, I'm not going to do this show in a chair. I'm going to use a stick and I'm going to dance and it's going to be amazing. So sits probe and dress rehearsal. I was on my feet for 11 hours. Opening night, I get through, manage it, but okay. And then I hit a two-show day and I did the first show and then I was done. My mm. body just gave out. It was done. And that was a massive learning curve for me as well because I sort of realized at that point, if I'd have just been in my chair, I could have made both of those shows. I would have been absolutely fine after. I'd probably been a bit tired, as you always are on a two-show day, but I could have done all of those performances. But this stubborn part of me that was mostly just internalized ableism, because I didn't know that performers could be in wheelchairs, it was the whole reason I didn't. And that was a big learning curve for me. And I think that's also why I want representation and I want it there for the next generations as well, specifically. Is because I never want another performer to ever feel like they can't be in their chair. Mm -hmm. I relate so much that obviously with the same disability, when I started using a cane, I would leave it in the waiting room all the time with auditions. And the thing that finally, I resisted it so much, even though I knew that the disabled acting community existed, I had started out, I'd been an actor since I was a little kid and it just wasn't my vision of myself. And Eventually, the change happened when I couldn't hide it anymore. When people started asking me, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your leg? Why are you walking like that? Every time I'd walk into an audition room, leaving the cane in the waiting room. But the reason we think that way is because that's the message that we're given. I remember once being in a, a waiting room for an EPA and I had my cane with me and a guy asked me about it. I said, oh, I have this condition that was fairly recently diagnosed and starting to change the way I walk. He was like, I'm sorry. I said, don't be sorry. And he goes, maybe you could play Tiny Tim someday. And he oh, was joking. What? But to him, that's his, his idea. Frame of reference, they, yeah. yeah. People talk about there not being enough disabled actors. They say that, which is not true. I would argue with that. There are a lot of us. But one reason is because people who have that dream don't understand that they can do it. They don't see themselves. They a few don't years see it. They know they can be it, yeah. No, I got to work at a, a children's theater a few years ago, Nashville Children's Theater, and played a disabled princess and had a moment after one of the shows where a couple of little three-year-old girls with cerebral palsy came up in their wheelchairs, and I was playing the character in a wheelchair. And we spent two hours together at the end of the show with them touching the chair and touching their own chair and, and talking about being a princess. And it so much. And hopefully things are different now that younger people know yep. that it's possible and to, to piggyback off of all of this as the born disabled person in the room my driving force to get into the industry having started as an actor very young or in my teens was the question of are there disabled actors because i wanted to do it but everything i saw on tv didn't have it and so my question was literally i mean i remember and i went through the whole rigmarole once i got out there but realizing, oh, is it just because disabled actors don't want to do this thing? Or is it just because disabled people don't want to be actors? Is that yeah. what? And this weird feeling of, I don't know how to do this. And I remember for me, I was performing at theater camps and I was 16. And 
I got a chance to do a character that was a dog trapped in a teenager's body. And it was a version of Jekyll and Hyde, but for high school. And so I played a character named Fido Hyde. And so I was on all fours the whole play. And I'll never forget this woman came up to me who had seen their plays previously. It was this husband and wife writing duo that are based in LA and they've done all these Disney movies, sequels, and they're very lovely. I owe them my whole career, but they're a very lovely team and they come to Florida and they would do these plays. And this woman came up to me and she was like, oh, I didn't realize you were disabled. Like until after I bowed because I was on all fours the whole time. She said, oh, and I didn't realize you were the character from last year who was in a wheelchair. And it was the first moment I got to have someone see me beyond my disability and just see a character mm -hmm. and just see a performance. And it was a really big moment for me. And it kind of solidified that this is what I have to do with my life. And this is why I want to be an actor. And in, in visible disabilities too, the theater world is so welcoming and actors can have such a sense of community. I was, I share a story a lot, but I, so on top of my cerebral palsy, I have an invisible disability, a chronic illness that I was born HIV positive, which actually affected my disability. So it caused a neurological issue, which mimicked cerebral palsy. So I was a handful of people ever had it happen. I was on the first infant studies of children with HIV under Dr. Fauci at the National Institute of Health. And when I was growing up, I couldn't talk about being HIV positive. I wasn't allowed to because kids were getting protested against. They were getting kicked out of schools. There was a lot of stigma around the subject. And I remember, you know, I was 16. I was in this theater camp, which is Showdown Theater Company. And they had an exercise, which was go on stage and tell your peers something you've never told anyone before. And anyone who's done acting knows it can be like therapy when you're doing workshops. And so I went up on stage and I said, my name's Joseph and I'm HIV positive. And that welcoming and that group of people supporting me changed my life. And it was like, I'm going to give my life to this because it gave me life. Mm. And I never went back. And that was the day I was like, I'm going to move out to California. And the theater company people who ran the, the camps gave me a place to live for a week. Every and, kid should have access to that kind of thing. Yeah. That kind right. of it did so much for you. It should be able to serve everyone. And if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have gotten to be able to get to California to get into acting, to get into film. I started going to school. I started the casting director route originally after I finished uh, film school. And that was the process of learning about disabled actors and the struggle and what it actually means to try to get in this industry and have representation. And if I didn't have that support, I didn't see it out there. And I know I would have, if I was a little kid and I saw anyone like you or Leah or Carrie, it would have made my whole world. They're out there and, and they've been out there. Yes. It, they've been working. It's just that they haven't gotten their flowers. That's yeah. the thing. They're, they're yeah. A lot of underappreciated people who've been working for a long time. Absolutely. I think that's what you say. If you, you can't see it, you don't know you can be it. And I'm very honored to be nominated for an RDS award, which for the civilians out there, that's the closest that our casting directors get to have an Oscar. And the film that I'm nominated for that I cast, it's a two-person film. It's a father and a son, African-American father, African-American son. And the son has Down syndrome. He's eight years old. And the father is very much wanting to teach him how to play baseball. And it's just this little film about that. But no budget at all. 
And there were very, there was maybe two children in LA that we read that could really do it. And I was like, oh, let's just open it up. Let's just search. And my, my director was like, oh, we can't afford to bring anybody here. I'm like, look, this is a Netflix. This is for Netflix. Come on. So I looked everywhere and it just, it was really hard. And I finally searched through some pediatrician networks and I don't know, I was just turning over every stone. And so we finally found this beautiful kid in tiny, tiny town in Alabama, never acted before, but he sent me in a tape, never acted before, never been on a plane before. And his family just felt like, oh my goodness, yes, we will come to LA to do this crazy little movie for really no money because we have never seen a lead be a, a, a boy, African-American boy with Down syndrome. We just have never seen it. He's never seen that. They, they took a breath and took a risk and came out to L.A. to do this. And I'm so grateful that they did. But, but literally, and I'm so honored that this film is, I'm getting honored as a casting director, but they're really honoring him. And again, if, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And the other, other thing I'll share is that when I was an actor um, working in regional theater, there was an actor in the community who had severe cerebral palsy very severe cerebral palsy and he he didn't he, his communication skills were very challenged like it would take him 10 minutes to tell a dirty joke you really had to hang in there to get to the punchline and i i was in shows with him and he lived near me so i would give him a ride to the theater all this stuff and i never really knew him until i read his writing he wrote something that i read and it was like suddenly his voice and that he could see every, he was aware of everything around him. He could see everybody's bullshit. He knew he was just, had an amazing humor and soul. And then I ended up writing a play about him. And, and that was an amazing collaboration. But I, I, I would never, you have to really, you got to put yourself in proximity to people. And also the other thing is he had access to training. He had access to acting classes which is so hard. How are you supposed to be good? People with disabilities need the chance to suck like anyone else for a while until they can get great training and then do what you did, Joseph, and, and be discovered doing, doing a little play somewhere. So anyway, this is my story. I've had so many friends who I'm lucky enough I got to do undergrad and grad school before my disability started affecting me to the point of needing to identify differently and, and confront that. Yeah. I was passing for a long time when I was in grad school, but I have a lot of friends who would love to go to grad school and who tried to get in and who were told over and over again, we don't have the space for you. Our theater isn't accessible. The actual buildings aren't accessible. The rehearsal process is going to be too strenuous for you. Your medical needs are too much. Mm -hmm. That's starting to change. We've had a few uh, from our community get into really good grad schools in the past few years but it is and it's only the past few years. only the past few years yeah it's i mean christine bruno was one of the leading people with that years yes. and years ago but especially in the theater world we talked about this the other day getting into the union is so hard and a lot of times for a lot of people going to grad school is the only way to get into the theater union so you're removing such an access if you don't let disabled Oh, yeah, that's people. how I got my my equity card was going yeah, on my program. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not to mention, the, the, I mean, this is a whole entire conversation that's hard to even delve into, but the insurance in general and health insurance for for having a disability, along with trying to be part of a union and make your union dues and make your eligibility for insurance all the time. I mean, there are barriers that 
being disabled, it can be complicated in this industry, especially when it's complicated enough for any actor to be in this industry and, mm -hmm. and make insurance. So there needs to be more access to these things mm -hmm. in general, I think. And just one thing I just want to pivot to real quick, and I've talked about this with our mutual friend, Kurt Yeager, who is just a, such a badass and nobody's going to tell him he can't do something. Let me tell you. But his his point is, you know, we I, as a casting director can do the best I can. We can all do the best we can. But until there is that person at the creative, powerful level who is disabled, right? Until there are those yes sayers and those green lighters who themselves are disabled, it, it's not going to be as impactful until you can elevate those kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've always said with, as a disabled actor, we want to go out for any role. There are going to be occasionally things that just aren't suitable. I couldn't play someone who needs to climb up half a mountain. I, I'm aware of that. There's a lot of just regular things that any actor disability or not could go for. But with roles that are written specifically as disabled, a lot of the time, those roles are written by abled people. And in that sense, abled people are then deciding where disabled people belong in the industry. And they're deciding how much of us that the media sees and they're deciding where we go. And it's definitely without, there are more and more disabled creatives getting opportunities. And I love things that are written by disabled people and who have disabled producers and directors, without people in those positions, it is able people deciding where we belong. I mean, I pivoted to being a screenwriter and getting into this because of what we deal with, not seeing us and not seeing us portrayed in a accurate way. I started writing films and TV scripts and pilots to help show that. And it's fascinating going through that process and I've gone through the development process. I've had producers and production companies interested and hearing them give notes sometimes is a, such an insight to where we are. Wow. Like, oh, I don't know if that would really happen. Or This is literally verbatim of things that have happened. And this lack of understanding or this lack of, of understanding disability that they're even writing about. I, I've had, I've seen in auditions where there have been roles I've got for that were written for a specific disability, where the event, that the thing, that the activity that they're doing isn't even plausible for that disability to do. But then they want to go ahead and hire an able-bodied actor to do it so that they could do the thing that that disabled person can't actually even do. Wow. And it's a mind-bender. Why are you writing that? And I'm being vague purposely. because Yeah, yeah. No, no, we get it. We but, get it. <laughs> But it's it's such a and it it made me have that drive to write stuff that is more intricate or writing char multiple characters with disability. This is the thing we've talked about recently, where having more than one character right. that's already in one mm -hmm. show would be mind blowing <laughs> or one performance or together yeah. writing a rom com that has two that has multiple disabled people, but the two leads are disabled and they have different disabilities, just like same. The play I'm writing. Yeah. Same. Same thing. Because it's... it's And disabled people like to be friends with other disabled, disabled people, people. Too, because it's a great sense of community. You know? And it doesn't mean that we're also the exact same relationship. And the d discussion of getting to a point of talking about internalized ableism on screen would be wonderful because that's such a more nuanced thing that we haven't even gotten there yet. Mm -hmm. And I've felt isolated and we feel pitted against each other because society... Mm -hmm 
pits us against each other as a way to distract us from the ultimate goal, which is to rise up together. That's really strong. The internalized, you have to remind me, which casting directors in workshops will remind you, if you've got the audition, they're looking at you. Never count yourself out, you know, but then that little voice, especially when I get mainstream roles, Mm -hmm. if there's anything that comes up, an audition for a, a love interest and she's not written disabled or for a scientist and she's not written disabled or or someone who's maybe kind of an asshole or who the, <laughs> the main, main character has to be rude to. I'm right, like, oh, right. they're not going to cast me because this, this, this. Yeah. I, I count myself out because I haven't seen enough examples of that to even trust the audition. Yeah, or I've, I've, I've auditioned for things and they have it written in the script that there's a flashback and the person's running. And I'm like, there we go. Yeah, that's it. They're gonna just do able bodied, and they're gonna just repeat it that way. CGI somebody to be disabled. They they can can CGI CGI somebody to run. (laughs) They could do it. Very, very good point. So what? Let's just pivot a little bit before we have to say goodbye to you. I'm so sad to say goodbye to you. It's so nice to be with you. I'm just wondering what lights your fire. Like, what are you watching now that you love? And it could you could also share with me what kinds of things have the kind of representation that you just are so excited about or not i mean what are the kinds of shows and movies that are just really you're staying up all night binging or can't stop thinking about we've been on a michael sure kick yes. <laughs> we've been re-watching all of the good plays brooklyn nine and one of the reasons is the diversity in all of those shows and yeah. the way that even small characters are such rich characters and they the writing never settles. And the elevation of tropes and the, and the constantly like taking something that can be could in another context be so overdone and finding a new way to share that joke or a new version yeah. of that scenario is so fascinating. And, and that's been definitely one of the big ones. And I know you you've been doing a Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. And I've Oh, I've been obsessed with Fargo from from the beginning, and I'm, I'm just getting on this season now. So we we just started. I'll be careful with spoilers. <laughs> no, but, no, no spoilers here. No spoilers here. But but a show that takes time, that takes breath, that allows you to sit with it for a moment. I mean, so much of media right now is, and especially with I'm a content creator, as I understand with TikTok and things like this, we're so active to be like go go go. If you don't get me in the next first six seconds mm-hmm. anymore. So finding a show that doesn't try to beat you over the head with stimulation in any way. It and just gives you real looking the cast real. I love seeing particularly with with female presenting people, people who look like people I know. Yeah. Like our neighbors who look like me. That's always so refreshing. And the acting is the thing that's most important. The character is what's more important. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In that, yeah, in shows like that. Yeah, that was a big thing when I was working for Ryan Murphy, where the kind of we were casting a gynecologist or whatever, and we send him gynecologist-looking people to us, and he's like, no, 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 I want real doctor. My real doctor doesn't look like doesn't look like a doctor. It looks whatever. And so that really reframed the kind of faces that we were looking for. And I don't think I've ever looked back. It's I'm always redefining what that what these archetypes mean what about you leah what are you watching what's keeping you up i started a new one today 
on. I don't know if it's new for you guys. It's new, like brand new for us. Class of 09. It's on Disney here. It's an FBI one, but it's set in the past, present and future. Oh, and it's all about AI and how that's going to change everything. I don't know. I kind of feel reverting to like my 14-year-old self. I've gone back to Once Upon a Time recently. Oh, like I watched it when it originally came out and then I hadn't seen it in six, seven years. Now suddenly I'm like back on it a lot. I don't know. There's quite a lot. I'm sort of flicking between a lot of different things at the mm-hmm. moment. I loved, so we had over, kind of over Christmas New Year, the Doctor Who specials and Ruth Madeley, who is a friend of mine, she is one of the most incredible actresses. She's absolutely phenomenal. The new TARDIS is wheelchair accessible. We oh, had wow. This, it, it was amazing. She, um, again, I'm not going to spoil much, but she plays an agent and it's really about her being a wheelchair user and being just as good an agent as everyone else. And there's so much like at one point, and I don't know if this is much of a spoiler or not, but she is standing next to her chair. And I know the three of us are all ambulatory wheelchair users and seeing something like that on screen, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal to see someone standing next to their wheelchair. And I think it's just, there's a lot of things, amazing things that are happening right now with access in the industry. And I think we've kind of hit a point that there's going to be a big wave of access, or at least I'm really hopeful that there's going to be a big wave of access and disability representation. Like, it's one of those things that I can just see happening soon. And I'm really glad that we all kind of get to be part of that. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of really cool things soon. Yeah. It will be nice to see. And so what's next for all of you? What are your next projects? I know, when did Handmaid's Tale come back? I have no idea what the timeline is. We don't know either. And it's so funny because I just cast Joseph Fiennes in something, like a project for Audible Amazon last year. And it was so amazing. And But I was like, oh, he's not coming back. You know, spoiler yeah. alert. <laughs> This is a real big twist. Yes. <laughs> we have all uh, sorts of joke ideas of what's happening next season, but I don't know yet. I'm also pa- waiting with bated breath. And there's this film that uh, called Where Did the Adults Go that is one of those. I'm in and out of my chair. I know a lot of people would love to see that kind of representation, whether everyone is ready for it or not. We're trying to get into film festivals. And so that's been very exciting. And then other than that, auditioning and writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've been on my journey of, of writing. I've been getting, I have a coming of age that I wrote that's been getting through festivals and a romantic comedy that's been getting through festivals and a pilot at the same time. So I'm developing all these different projects and just trying to find a home for them. I actually mm-hmm. just got my romantic comedy, The Way We Walk, which is a disabled rom-com. Oh. Just date on the blacklist, which was very, very nice and it's going for the finalist stages on a lot of festivals and i'm developing other projects and this is my year of trying to land a literary agent and just full deep into the writing world i do a disability blog and chronic illness blog called fancywalker.blog which i've started developing just talking about my life experiences and trying to develop that eventually probably into a memoir style book Uh, those are kind of the things i'm working on in auditions and Seeing where the world takes us, and we want to write something together. together. Yeah, we always write roles for each other in, in our, each other's work, or we often do. 
So maybe someday. Just make we'll, this, yeah. We'll oh, that's incredible. I want to cast all of those things. So don't <laughs> forget me. And I want to cast you and all those things. Leah, what, what is happening next for you? I've got access coordination wise. I've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up that I wish I could talk about. But you know, okay. I'm, some of it's in theater in the West End. Some of it's screen. I've written a couple of projects that are in places being reviewed and stuff right now. So I've got a couple of bits that I'm writing. I shot a web series last year that I was in, I want to say maybe nine months ago, and that's coming out soon. Oh, it's, yeah, I've got things all over the place. It's kind of, a lot of the time this industry really feels like juggling. It's like trying to juggle everything. And my PhD proposal has been sent in as well. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun stuff lot coming up. Oh, that's amazing. Anytime you want to come back and talk to me more, if you have something else to promote, let me know. I'll definitely be watching to see what's what's happening with you. And I just want to thank you so much for coming. It's just been so great to reconnect with you and to learn what's going on with you. And I'm just so honored that you took the time to be here. So for now, this is Killer Casting signing off. <laughs> <laughs>